0: Welcome to She Thinks, a podcast where you're allowed to think for yourself. I'm your host, Beverly Hallberg, and on today's episode, we discuss a hard topic, the very real tragedy of the Chinese persecution against the Muslim Uyghur population. We'll get into the origins of the victimization, as this has been going on for years, as well as the Uyghurs' fight against the oppressive Chinese government. It's an honor to have on human rights activist Johar Ilham to talk about all of this, including sharing her own personal story of fleeing China and her fight to free her father. From prison. Before we get into the discussion, a little bit about Johar. Johar Ilham is the daughter of Uyghur scholar Ilham Toti, an internationally noted moderate voice who was dedicated to bridging the gap between the Uyghur people and the Han Chinese. She has testified on behalf of her father before the U.S. Congressional Executive Committee on China, met with a number of government officials, including former Secretary of State John Kerry, and received numerous awards worldwide on behalf of her father. She was also the key speaker at 2019's Ministerial to Advance Religious Freedom, hosted by Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, and she has spoken to the President, President Trump, at the White House about the Uyghur's plight. She has recounted her experiences in her 2015 book, A Uyghur's Fight to Free Her Father. I encourage you all to get it, but it truly is an honor to have her here today to share her own story and also to give us a state of affairs for the Uyghur population, as we know that the persecution has been increasing. So Johar, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you very much for having me today, thank you. And I know you talk about this in your book. It talks about your fight to free your father. But that also starts from a story about leaving your father at an airport in China, thinking that he was going to be joining you to come to the United States, but was not able to. Um, so why don't we just start there? Why was your first of all, what was the work of your father? And then why was he joining you to come to the United States?
1: Sure. Um 2013, February 2nd was the day when uh, me and my father planned to come to the United States together. And that was also the last time I saw my father in person. Um, my father was invited by Indiana University as a visiting scholar. Uh, he was given this cha- opportunity to uh, teach uh, and, and take classes at IU for a year. And I was only planning to stay for a month, less than a month uh, during my, um, in, in China uh, we used to call it winter break, uh, but obviously in, in English it's called Christmas break. Um, so I was not planning to stay long, but things have changed. And now I it's my seventh year in the United States and it's my seven year seventh year being apart from my family. My father was arrested at the airport, and due to the fact that I was a teenager uh, in, in 2013, I appeared to have no threat to the police officials at the airport, and they allowed me to leave. My father also insisted that I should leave when we were at the airport. I think that was probably, probably the best decision my father had ever, ever made for me, even though I strongly resisted at that time, i against it, that idea. And I, at that point, at an 18-year-old girl's head, it didn't make sense uh, to me that why would I be living to a strange country by myself without no- speaking the language, without knowing anyone, without having a family member with me.
0: Let's talk a little bit about your father's work. Um, what was he doing? Was it was it solely about bringing awareness to the increased persecution against the Uyghur population, or what what exactly? And I know that they are arresting people for um, people who are innocent there. But did your father realize that he was in danger of being arrested when he went to the airport with you? My first of all, my
1: father was. Um, sentenced and charged for being a separatist and he was uh suspected to become someone who advocates for violence uh, and he he was uh, called out as a extremist which which all those accusations are completely false and it's actually the opposite of he, who he was in early tw- uh, 2000 uh in early 2000, mid- 2000 uh, in early 2000s he he started um he started to help Uyghur, uh, uh, t- he, he started helping out with an organization to rescue Uyghur homeless children. And he realized that there are so many deeper reasons behind why there are so many Uyghur hum- homeless children. So he started uh, focusing his researches on the Uyghur region. And he realized that it's not only about, um, about uh, those Uyghur children's parents uh, abandoning them. A lot of them, were because those Uyghur children was kid- being kidnapped, and there are just uh, social econo- social economic problems in the Uyghur region in general, uh, lack of uh, uh, hospitals, lack of education, uh, proper education system, etc. So he realized that uh, there are so many stereotypes um, in between, uh, between uh, Han Chinese uh, among, among Han Chinese towards the Uyghur people, and and that is all lack because lack of understanding. Therefore, my father created this website called Uyghurbiz.com to provide a platform where people can find information about not only about the Uyghur people but also about the Han Chinese. So Uyghur people and Han Chinese can create understandings. You know, there are very limited um, information, and uh, the 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 source of information are very li- limited in China, especially since social media platforms like. Like Instagram, Twitter, Facebook are all banned, and searching engines, uh, searching engine platforms like Google are banned. YouTube is banned in in China. So it's it's the the way where people can have access to the truth information. It's very limited. Where people can get information is the only the government state backed media like CCTV. So this website provided a perfect platform. In the beginning, it went really well. It attracted lots of attention, not only inside China, but also outside of China. And that considered a big threat to the Chinese government. Um, There's a reason the Chinese government uh, banned all of those social media platforms and those searching engines from the West. It's because, I I believe it's because the government might have a fear of people having um, uh, freedom to have access to all those uh, free information, and my father was exactly the person who was trying to provide those free information to everyone to have to provide them a platform to freely discuss what they think and what is what is the history of this uh, of this uh, region, what is the what is the economical background of this uh, region and of this group of people, and in or- creating um, creating those understanding can minimize the gap between certain groups, between the Han Chinese and Uyghur people. And it, my father believed this is a way to 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 enhance the peace in this region. But the government didn't think so. And instead they locked him up in a prison, sentenced him to
0: life and gave him a hat which called separatist. Let's talk a little bit about growing up in in China as a Uyghur um, in the Uyghur population, and and being Muslim, did you feel as a little girl that there was a lot of persecution, or was it more just lack of understanding, maybe some, some bias, maybe racism, but not necessarily persecution from the government? So has this increased? Of course, it's received national attention now, even those videos, the drone footage showing um, Uyghurs being uh, with their hands handcuffed, looking like they're being escorted off to concentration camps. There's been a lot of focus. But mm-hmm. did you see as, yeah. as a girl growing up that the persecution was increasing? And I, I definitely believe
1: the things are getting worse and worse and worse. I don't, I don't even know how many worse I can, have, worse than has, I can put after this. Um, I remember when I was little, things were not that bad. And now, when I see all oh, what is happening, I I don't even know what word to put to describe it anymore. Um, I was luckily I was born and raised in Beijing. I did not suffer that much of discrimination or torture compared to a lot of other Uyghur um, uh, same uh, yeah, uh, same people in the same age. But I still did I did. Had to suffer some sort of discrimination, even though I was born and raised with those Han Chinese peers. Uh, when somebody lost something in the classroom, they would assume I, I'm the person who stole it. And if there's a if there's a weird smell coming out uh, somewhere, they would assume I I had that smell on my body. And there's just a stereotype. People think. Um, because of the uh, how how the media portray the Uyghur people, the Uyghur uh, community, when there's something stolen, they automatically start suspecting that the only Uyghur in the classroom is the thief. And when there is when the room is not that dirt, it's not it's not that clean, it's not smelling that fresh. And because of because of how media portray us as a uh, non hygienic uh, group and not very uh, careful with with uh, personal hygiene. And they automatically suspect that the only we were in the class, it's the source of the bad smell. And growing up, I had to get used to it. It ma- it makes, especially when I was a teenager, it hurts my feelings. It hurt my feelings a lot being, you know, sometimes even pushed by my classmates to the ground and then get bullied. And but even though the, um, the, the the level of bully, wh- wh- I, I can't say it was um I mean, I, I did have lots of great friends supporting me at the same time. I don't not want to completely just say, "Oh, it was a disaster. I did have uh, Han Chinese friends supporting me, but I did also had Chin- Han Chinese peers bullying me because of who I was because just simply because of my identity, even though I spoke the same language as them. I go to the same class. I grew up I grew up and I go to school and we have the same books, and I see them every day, but people would treat you just differently just because of your Uyghur. And I believe that's the situation is worse in the Uyghur region. I used yeah. to go home uh, every once in a little while to the Uyghur region to visit my grandparents, um, and and some might have complained to me that, in you know, you know it is very difficult for some of them uh, to have job opportunities, equal job opportunities as the Han Chinese and local uh, region, even though it is called Uyghur Autonomous Region in Chinese but um Han Chinese are still <coughs> excuse me prioritized when during the job selections. even though they might have the same education background and same connections but being a Han Chinese is it is considered better to be compared to being an Uyghur for for those employees for people who's trying to fly uh, yeah. to hire hire yeah. Yeah. employees
0: and i know that we we do not know the numbers but we know that Tens of thousands of Uyghurs have been imprisoned. We've heard the stories about the torture. Very similar. Yes. Uh, people make a lot of comparisons yes. to World War yes. II and the Nazi concentration camps. So yes. I, I want to talk about what you know about the persecution today, and then go back to your father. Have you spoken to him? Have you heard any information about him since you found out that he was imprisoned for what they called of being um, a separatist?
1: Yes. So my father was actually the very one of the very first um, um, people who was arrested, um, uh, U- Uyghur, Uyghur uh, from the Uyghur community who was arrested, and and he was actually the first um, uh, person in China um, that uh, that was sentenced to life. He was the first after the Cultural Revolution, um, and. After to the, before 2017, in between 2014 to 2017, my my father was allowed to be visited by our, fa- by ma- by, um, our di- direct family members every three months, even though uh, compared to the other political prisoners, um, no matter how Chinese or, or just any other political prisoners, um, family visits are granted for every month. But for my family, it was every three months, and that was also taken away in 2017. I haven't heard any news of my father since 2017. I don't know if he has been transferred to another prison, if has, if he has been transferred to a camp, if he has been transferred to a labor factory, or if he has been killed. I, the, I But sometimes I, I, I actually do prefer not hearing from him because at least I didn't hear a news of him being killed. But on the other hand, I do wish to hear something of him, so I know he's safe and he's alive. And he's not the only person in my family who had to suffer from the regime. My cousin, Nuralia, she was taken away as well in uh, late 2016. She was sentenced for 10 years for having my father's photo and his article in her phone. And maybe you, you have heard there are checkpoints. It's, but basically it's, you know, China is a police state, especially the Uyghur region. There are police checkpoints every few blocks and people are required. It's mandatory for people to, 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 uh, to turn in their phones and their phones can be confiscated without any reasons by, by the, by those police uh, on those checkpoints. And she was on her way to a, to a shopping mall and she was, stopped at one of the checkpoints and the police uh, requested to search her phone and found a picture of my father and his his article and she was asked why do you have this and she said he's my uncle and they asked to confiscate this phone and asked to take my my cousin away. She refused and said he's my uncle. I have the right to have any information of him no matter if it's bad or, 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 or good. And he was, she was sentenced for ten years because of that. And I have other family members who are sent to camps. They were released after two years of um, being tortured in the camps. I have, I haven't been able to, 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 to I haven't, uh, I haven't been able to speak to them um, personally because uh, obviously it, they're afraid to speak to me out of fear. I was not able to di- directly. In touch with them. Most of my family members in the Uyghur region have all blocked me or deleted me from, from the WeChat, the social media account that we, that we used to communicate in the past. Um,
0: it and is and quite let me lonely ask you about that. Be- I, yeah, I wanted yes. just to just ask you a question on that. I'm sure that that's so hard because this is your family and you want to be in touch. Is there a part where? You are glad that they did it because you know you do not do pose a security risk to your family. And I, I kind of want to pick up on that just of how it's been for you. You are speaking out. Do you have to be careful mm-hmm. about how this could come back on family members? Yes. I. To be honest, I am very scared every single day
1: that my speaking out could harm my family. I have two little brothers. Uh, and my stepmother, they're all in China now. Uh, every day I'm afraid m- me speaking out could harm them, could make their, uh, uh, make their opportunity to go to school be ta- be taken away. Their student status might be affected, just like what had happened to me when I was in high school. My student status got affected because of my father's speaking out. And I was afraid they will do the same thing. But I remember what my father did My dad knew he was going to prison, knew it was going to affect our family. But he also, he continued because he knew that it is a bigger problem. It is not about, completely about my family member anymore. That all the Uyghurs, all the Muslims are brothers and sisters. And all those Uyghurs are our brothers and sisters. They're just another person's sister. They're just another person's moms or dads or uncles or aunts. And if I don't speak out, if I don't try to get those, that get the words out, and those stories are buried in China, and nobody would ever know uh, Ilham Tohti, another Nuralia or another just Jahar or anyone. They, their names can never be told, and their stories just buried. And they will—they might be disappeared. They might—they might die, and and they might never be able to meet their families anymore. And my father made that choice, and this is my choice too. I knew I know that I am very scared and I also feel guilty every single day for if anything happens to my family, but this is a choice that I made that I have to speak out.
0: And I just, I, I want to talk about when you got to the United States and this journey that you've been on to write a book and to tell the story and making this decision and following in your father's footsteps in so many ways. And I know he's so proud of you for doing what you're doing. If he's heard what you're doing, um, what was it like for you being, I think you said 18 years old landing at a U.S. airport in Indiana, not speaking the language, where, where did you start? I mean, your world was turned upside down and how have you gotten to the place you are today where you are able to speak out and have the courage to do so?
1: There, there were so many unfortunate things happened to my family, to my community, but I still consider myself a lucky person. I think my family, all my family members are great people. They have, you know, designated their lives to help, uh, dedicated their that they have dedicated their lives to help people and i think their their goodness have brought brought so much goodness so much influence on me i have because of their their work so many people strangers have reached out and help, and they they were willing to uh to to give their hands to 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 help me when i first came here i didn't know anyone but i had one name card in my pocket which my father put in my, in my pocket at the airport. This, this, the, the owner of this name car only met my father once. And he used to be the uh, Dean of the Central Eurasian Department at Indiana University. And he was a person who invited my father to, to IU as a visiting scholar. He, w- he knew that my father was arrested at the airport because he saw it on the news and he knew I was coming to the US alone. And he was he came to expect me at the airport, and his name was Elliot Sperling. He passed away in 2017, but he was he's a he's a person that plays a role in my life just as important as my father. He was the mentor to me. He helped me. He taught me to be strong, to be to 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 be like my father, and he helped me learn English. He helped me register in English pro, intensive English program. And he, he guided me a lot and told me that you can live freely and you can express your ideas. You can tell people your stories without having to be stopped by the government. You can if you choose to. And in 2014, April was my first time speaking out in public about my father's story. And it was under his encouragement. And I really appreciate that his help, may him rest in, in, in peace. And there are so many people just like him who gave me huge help and who made me who I am today and who those people helped me help the Uyghur community, community to get these stories out. Because to be honest, um, in 2013, there, there were very few people knew who Uyghurs were. When you said Uyghur people, they had no idea there were even Muslims in China. When I said Uyghur people, I always had to say, do you know Tibetans? They're like, yeah, 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 the Dalai Lama people. And I said, oh, Uyghur people live next to Tibet. And this is how I used to introduce Uyghur people. And it is sad But nowadays with so many Uyghur activist efforts, there are more and more people know, know that they are aware of the Uyghurs and Sadly, it is because of such a tragic way they know that Uyghurs because of the camps. I wish it was from another way, but I appreciate that this little attention that we already got, and I do hope more people in the world can be aware of what is happening and be aware of there is a community called Uyghur people, and there is a community called Kazakhs in China, and there are Kyrgyz and Uzbeks in China, but they're also under persecution because of this regime and just because of who they are.
0: Let's talk about, you mentioned the word hope, the hope that you have for the Uyghur people and the other uh, individuals and people group that you just mentioned are, are persecuted there as well. Because there is increased attention on what China is doing, in some respects I would assume that that puts more pressure on the Uyghur people mm-hmm. and their persecution of them, but are you hopeful with this international attention, with President Trump speaking out, with other elected official, uh, other elected officials speaking out, that there could be some type of relief um, for the Uyghur people? What is your hope? What do you think can actually help bring those people back to their families?
1: I am a very optimistic person. Uh, uh, I am very positive, just like how my father raised me. Um, and I do believe there's hope. And my father always t- used to tell me, he used to tell me that there's an end for everything. If something has begun, then there's an end to it. it nothing is eternal. Nothing is forever. And I believe this this tragic issue incident will end one day. And but in order to make that ending date come sooner, it's with the international community's help. And I do think, I do appreciate the, the U.S. government's efforts on ending, ending this. Um, and I really do hope that there are more countries can join the, join the cause. And, and I, I, I think the U.S. government needs to better coordinate with efforts in other countries and um, participate as part of a, um, coalition in order to respond to the Uyghur, this Uyghur issue, and which I call it genocide. And I and I do think um, engaging with um, multilateral institutions or uh, it can it can it can provide a good basis, and it can
0: it can help speeding up the ending of this tragic cause. Final question for you before we close today, for those listening who want to know what they personally can do, what do you tell people who hear your story and they say they want to help? What can we do? A lot of people think there's, I I see people comment
1: on my Instagram or on my Twitter said, Oh, this is so sad. This is so bad. I wish I could help. I feel so powerless. What can I do? But I, I want people to, whoever is listening to this, I want, I want you to know, you are very powerful. The reason the government wants to shut shut us up is because they know how powerful people can be. That's why your words, your actions can be can be can be contribute can, can be contribute in a tremendous way. For example, you can help by um, boycotting any products that are made or or have uh, or or made or implemented in the Uyghur region. That you, that are involved in Uyghur forced labor. Um, there are brands like Nike, uh, which refused to end their and their uh, supply uh, supply chain in 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 the Uyghur region. I think you can uh, stop buy, purchasing from brands like this. There are over 70 brands on the internet. You can look it up. Um, you can find that they have they are involved in the exploitation of the Uyghur labor forced labor. You can boycott by help. uh, You can help by boycotting those brands, and you can also donate to um, uh, certain um, non-profits like Uyghur Human Rights Project, Shukuro Foundation, and also I am currently working on a documentary film which is focused on the Uyghur um, uh, human rights stories, uh, uh, human rights violations in, in the in China. And we are also looking for funding uh, any dollar or even fifty cents will be a tremendous help and I would really highly appreciate and there are also uh, refugee programs or the refugee programs you can pay attention to they need volunteers and if you're a school teacher you can help provide um mentor uh, assistance. Some students are trying they're struggling to apply to universities there's so many things you can do you can also if you're a christian if you're a Catholic you can talk to your talk talk to your um your local friends, your neighbors, uh, your people you met from the church, just tell them it doesn't matter what religion we are believing in. We're all humans, aren't we? And we we are all equal. It doesn't matter who we are, what's our race, what's our religion is. And I think that is very important that this is a time that we all stand together and fight the same issue, which is protecting each
0: other. Well, you are continuing the fight that your father started. I know he is proud of you. And for those who are listening to this and want to know more about your story, I encourage them to go get your book, Johar Ilham, A Uyghur's Fight to Free Her Father. Go and pick that up. But we so appreciate you sharing your own story and also giving us some helpful insight into what we can do. So thank you so much for joining us on She Thinks today. Thank you very much. Thank you. And thank you for joining. Before you go, Independent Women's Forum does want you to know that we rely on the generosity of supporters like you. An investment in IWF fuels our efforts to enhance freedom, opportunity, and well-being for all Americans. Please consider making a small donation to IWF by visiting iwf.org backslash donate. That is iwf.org backslash donate. Last, if you enjoyed this episode of She Thinks, do leave us a rating, a review on iTunes. It does help. And we'd love it if you shared this episode so you can let your friends know where they can find more She Thinks episodes. From all of us here at Independent Women's Forum, thanks for listening.